This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUreview.com and on your favorite podcast app. On the mean streets of Gotham City, a new breed of supervillains emerges. But deep in the shadows, old school justice awaits. And the Batman, the Cape Crusader, returns in an all-new animated series. The Batman. Welcome, everybody, to episode 214 of the DCAU Review. I am Cal, one of your hosts, and with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter account. That's right, Liam. Liam, welcome to episode 214 of the DCAU Review as we continue in our month of Robin the Boy Wonder Elseworlds episodes. That is right, Cal, and we are picking up with another alternate animated take on the Boy Wonder himself. This week we are turning to the world of the Batman, not that one, and we are picking up with uh, the premiere of the fourth season of that show entitled a matter of family yeah no robert pattinson to be found in this one sorry <laughs> sorry pattinson fans uh so uh, yeah this is the uh, the cartoon the batman the follow-up series the often overlooked i feel like and and nowadays i feel like it's started to gain a little bit of traction and appreciation uh but it was certainly uh it, between a rock and a hard place having to follow the the batman the animated series in dcau world so uh yeah we will definitely get into that we uh we've covered a few of these episodes from this show in the past you can check those out in the archives at dcaureview.com or on your favorite podcast app liam uh before we get into this week's episode we are of course going to get our imdb synopsis the official one that is uh for this episode that originally debuted back on september the 23rd 2006 meaning we are coming up just a few short months here on the 16 year anniversary of this show and before we get the official IMDb synopsis. I must remind you, as well as the listeners at home, that this segment is sponsored by The Pod Tower. Head over to youtube.com slash The Pod Tower, and you will not only get amazing DCAU and Elseworlds content from yours truly, and and what's what's the like companion to yours truly? Like ours truly? Ours truly. Ours truly, yeah. Okay, from, from ours truly. No, that doesn't that still doesn't from us not only will you get it from us but some wonderful content creators as well so check out youtube.com slash the pod tower like and subscribe get our full catalog including bonus episodes and other elseworlds episodes as well absolutely and so this is the synopsis for a matter of family which was written by michael jelinek with uh direction by Brandon Vietti, uh, music by Thomas Chase, and animation by Dong Wu. And that synopsis reads as such. When the circus comes to Gotham, ruthless crime boss Tony Zuko demands protection from the Flying Graysons. That's of course sentence structure. A family of trapeze artists. They refuse to pay and Zuko exacts revenge, leaving Dick, the youngest Grayson, an orphan. Having experienced a similar tragedy, this thing is a paragraph. Having experienced a similar tragedy himself, 
Batman is driven to take down Zuko and in the process discovers an unexpected bond with Dick. All right. So you know how that that popular saying was or is or has been over the last couple of years, like they understood the assignment. They knew what was asked of them. The person Mm -hmm. that wrote this synopsis did not understand what a synopsis is. (laughs) A, a sentence or two that describes uh, briefly what the episode is uh, is is about. So I I would say this again gets a see me after class. You didn't understand the assignment. You didn't follow the directions. Uh, so this is uh, this is like a, a D minus or a with a with a see me after class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a. I, while it does convey the information of the plot of this episode, it does so and a uh, pretty clumsy and uh and and poor sentence structure and just too long just too drawn out a lot of padding in there so uh that can uh, that could jump us into our our plot here cal and uh well if you're familiar with the tale with the origin story of one richard grayson uh, a lot of this will be familiar to you we we start out in the in the uh the circus before a show has uh before the show has started and we actually start on the, the Flying Graysons, John, Mary, and Dick Grayson eating dinner. Dick excited to go and, and practice the trapeze act before the show later in the night. Uh, but when he arrives in the, uh, in the big top, as, uh, as his parents sort of slowly come behind him, they run into some, uh, some familiar names, though th- these versions certainly don't exactly look exactly the same as the ones we may have seen in other animated versions of this but yes it is tony zuko and some of his other uh brothers as he uh, refers to them uh who are looking to do a little good old-fashioned mob shakedown dick your father said to wait <gasps> looks like the circus is in town Tony Zuko, welcome to Gotham City. John Grayson, the circus manager. Can I help you? I'd like to think I'm here to help you, John. For a small fee, my brothers and I will provide your circus with protection. Protection? I'm not sure I understand why we would need your protection. Hmm. I come from circus folk myself, so let me put this in terms you can understand. You don't pay us, and you'll have to deal with a strong man. A lion tamer? a juggler. Uh, promising John, who in, in this version is the proprietor of the circus as well, uh, uh, that nothing bad will happen so long as the Graysons pay up to Zuko and the rest of his family. And uh, John and, and Dick especially take don't take kindly to that. 
That's right. Yeah. John is not a pushover in this, uh, this, this iteration of the Graysons. He, uh, he doesn't take kindly to Zuko, who, by the way, Zuko's voice sounded oh so familiar. And <laughs> so did John's. I just could not put my finger on where mm-hmm. I'd heard these voices before, but I guess we'll find out in the voice uh, in our, in our voice cast that reviewed at the end of the episode. But uh, so these two gentlemen uh, begin a fisticuffs. John fights back showing that he is not a pushover and just when it seems that the Zukos have gotten the best of them. Uh, Dick warns them that he, in fact, has called the authorities and that they are likely to want to stop. And uh, from above comes a voice saying that he has intercepted said phone call to the authorities. And it is none other than, of course, the Batman. And the Batman does his best to clean their clocks and remove them from their from the t- circus tent uh, on the way out. Uh, Zuko locks eyes with Dick and as they sort of run with their tails between their legs uh, and escape, they do manage to to uh, to arrest one of the members of the family. And this leads uh, Tony to want to exact revenge and uh, realize that since their family has been divided, that he wants to return the favor. So uh, the rest, (laughs) the next scene plays out like you've probably seen if you're familiar with as you said, with Batman lore, you're familiar with how the next scene plays out. Bruce Wayne attends, uh, in this case, the Flying Grayson's performance at the circus. And uh, as he looks on right before they go out, it's interesting, at least in this iteration, which sort of mirrors the, at least the way that they sort of did it in the uh, the, the movie Bat, Batman Forever, uh, the, the classic, I'm sure, mm-hmm. multi-award winning film Batman Forever in which uh, Robin is is gifted a, a costume that, or Dick Grayson is gifted a costume that looks very similar to what you might know as the classic Robin costume. And uh, he's even given the moniker of the Robin uh, by his mom in that moment, much to his chagrin, N- none too pleased. And actually, uh, his father suggests maybe they call him the flying squirrel instead. Uh, Dick Dick fends it off and says that he's he's going to be teased and mocked at school and called a loser for having a name like that. Uh, so they, they go out to, to do their performance. And as I said, Bruce Wayne is in attendance. Uh, happily watching and of course also in the audience happens to be tony zuko and uh, a few of the few brethren that were not uh, taken in by the police and as they watch he uh, he's actually eating some popcorn tony is and he uh, he dumps into the strong man uh, his brethren that is a strong man into his hands uh, what appears to be two bolt fasteners or nuts that uh, were used to fasten there's a, a quick cut to show that the the uh, trapeze line that the the Graysons are swinging on has these two hooks at the end and the bolts would have held the hooks down and the the weight of of both Mr. and Mrs. Grayson are beginning to uh, cause those hooks to slide up. And just as as Dick is about to jump on and, and is introduced uh, to, before he's about to perform, he notices the hooks are uh, are slipping and well uh, the the Graysons as they are known to do unfortunately fall to their death because they do this all without the aid of a net as we were reminded so so really who's the real murderer here is it is it Tony's oh, I mean it's Tony Zuko but like the secondary cause here is hubris <laughs> I I would have to say and again this is not uh, exclusive to this version of the Graysons to your point but. You just had a net. This is, this wouldn't be a problem, you know. You know, I'm I mean, gonna it get would to be it. embarrassing, but right. 
and I'm gonna I'll get to it as we go along here, but there are several several plot holes, unfortunately, in the classic story of Robin. Everybody <laughs> that tells the Dick Dick Grayson story has a uh, has a way of telling it, and it's usually it follows a very similar pattern. And because it follows that original pattern that was set in the original Batman comics, there are several plot holes that in today's uh, in today's world just really don't make a whole lot of sense when you think about it too much. So uh, yes, uh, not, why would you, what would, what would cause you, like, why would you think that that would entice people to come watch? Although I guess it, it's, it's like a train wreck. You're hoping it's like a NASCAR race. You go to it attending, hoping to f- see an accident. So I guess in some mm-hmm. ways it brings in customers, but it's never been addressed why that was the, that was the thing that they chose to do without the aid of a net, because if they had a net, the Robin wouldn't exist, I guess. So, <laughs> um, well, yes, that is often the answer. I think in, in comic books and superhero stories sometimes, and is uh, for every pedantic question that you or I might raise, a lot of times the answer is because we wanted the story to happen. That's why it happened this way. <laughs> Precisely. So uh, as I mentioned, the Graysons fall to their death and uh, we cut from Dick uh, sort of recognizing that they have fallen to their deaths to him being sheltered at, uh, at their funeral and it is pouring down rain in the afternoon with Alfred standing by and also Bruce Wayne. And that's where, that's where we get uh, the sort of introduction. We actually covered this when we did our, our uh, five best Robins, our 80th anniversary celebration of Robin and our bonus episodes, this particular scene, we talked about it, but uh, it's a very touching moment that happens between Bruce and Dick as they sort of make this connection. And he realizes that uh, their stories sort of uh, align here in this moment. And he recognizes Dick's need as he does in most, most iterations of the story that dick is in need of what he was not able to to have as a child uh and uh is looking to provide that for dick here i miss them it's just not fair Thanks again. His parents were all the family that boy had. That's why I've decided to take him in as a foster son, if he'll have me. I was lucky enough to have you to guide me through those dark days, Alfred. Dick deserves the same. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a very it's a very moody scene, and it's clear that there's a a lot of of anger in in Dick's heart, and and he's not uh, you know he's not sitting well with this. Of course, you wouldn't be, but it's it's just clear, and, and Bruce very clearly sees so much of of himself as does Alfred in uh, in Dick, and 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 we see that uh, Bruce decides he's going to adopt Dick as a foster son. And uh, we see Dick arriving at Wayne Manor there, and uh, immediately they uh, cut again. Similar notes to different uh, Robin origins we may have seen over the years, but Dick is sort of in the big house alone at the big dining room table as as he's sort of questioning where Bruce is, and and Alfred uh, is quick to dismiss him and and tell him that uh, that Bruce is uh, just a busy guy and he's got too much going on and. 
And uh, meanwhile, Alfred heads down to the Batcave and uh, and once again mentions that Dick is uh, is, is is looking for him and, and is sort of in need of a, a little bit more companionship. And Bruce said, and Bruce sort of answers that he's his his reason for doing this again, very similar to other versions of Batman uh, dealing with this, is that he feels that the best way he can help Dick in this moment from an emotional standpoint is to bring his parents killer to justice so that Dick's uh, childhood won't be so consumed with never having gotten that closure the way that Bruce's was. Master Dick has been asking for you. I can't sit back and wait for the police to link the Zukos to the crime. Now that the boy is part of this family, I suspect he may need a father figure more than he needs a crime fighter. The criminal responsible for my parents' death was never brought to justice, Alfred. That's a burden I won't let Dick carry. Boss Zuko and his brothers have been harassing Gotham business owners for years. So far, my only lead is a toothpick I found at the circus carrying traces of Zuko's DNA. That would seem to only confirm what you already know. His involvement. This specific brand of toothpick is carried in only two places in Gotham, Alfred. Garrett's Family Restaurant and the Ice Pick Club. There's, a, there's sort of a noble fact, but it's also feels like Bruce also trying to insulate himself from having to have a conversation with like a 10 year old. Right. So it's, it's like, a, oops, it's a, I adopted a kid. Yeah, the very Batman excuse to, you know, I, I want to seek justice for him, but I don't necessarily know how to just like talk to him and make him feel welcome in this giant house. So we see uh, Batman from there tracking down uh, some leads on Zuko by, uh, again, very, very, this is, we get into some really fun, like Batman detective stuff, which I don't feel like this show did a lot of, it was mm-hmm. so much more focused on the really over the top villains and the action adventure and the big set pieces and all certainly that we've talked about in some of the previous episodes that we've covered of the show. But here we see him uh, testing a toothpick he found at the scene of the crime for DNA and then figuring out that these these toothpicks are only available at one or two clubs in the uh, in the city and so he goes there and sort of shakes down the local the local hoodlums who uh, who confirm once again that Zuko is kind of laying low but who tells him that Zuko's two brothers the uh, the strong man and the juggler are still out shaking down local businesses and so Batman is off to uh, track down Zuko's whereabouts as he uh, once again uh, takes takes that uh, as he kind of continues on the trail there and and uh, we cut back there to the manor where Dick's uh, kind of hanging around again the manor still alone and Alfred actually calls for him and takes him and shows him that in this this one room in the manor and it was kind of funny because it's like a really sweet moment but it also is a little bit of a Uh, there's a callback to it later in the episode where Alfred reveals that they have this sort of giant portrait of the Graysons now hanging in this one room in Wayne Manor in front of the fireplace. And it's this really kind of sweet moment as once again, Dick is sort of reiterating that he's, uh, he's very much still focused on revenge and on, on Zuko uh, specifically the, the verbiage used is getting what's coming to him. Right. Yeah. It, and it kind of reveals it, it kind of makes you think that he might take the same avenue that we saw in Batman, the animated series, where he's seeking revenge and looking to perhaps perhaps pay back 
uh, Zuko with vengeance as opposed to justice. So we, it, you, they do kind of give you that red herring there to make you think that that he might seek to kill uh, Tony Zuko, but uh, we'll find out later on just uh, the payoff for that. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, so that he reveals this picture and Bruce. Uh, as as Batman is shaking down Zuko's brothers, uh, despite the fact that they're not willing to share exactly where Zuko's whereabouts are, he again uses detective work to find out just exactly where they are as he notices that the strong man is eating circus peanuts. So he, he puts two and two together and realizes that Zuko is in fact hiding out at the circus so uh, as he's on his way to the to the the circus uh this is when we get the that dick himself is actually a bit of a detective well it's kind of by happenstance it happens but uh he he can't sleep so he walks down and he heads to the study where uh, the painting of his his parents are so he sits there by the fire and as he's as he's sitting there old alfred just the jig is up thanks to thanks to alfred pennyworth uh who uh, comes up through the the clock the the grandfather clock and uh robin or sorry dick is there in the chair sort of observing him silently alfred doesn't doesn't quite have the batman skills to know that there's somebody in the room and uh doesn't notice that dick is in this big wing chair and so dick heads over to the clock and pulls the lever of course and is transported down to the bat cave where he uh the door opens and he sees all of batman's trophies the bat computer the batmobile or not the batmobile i guess the bat plane and uh then he as he's standing there sort of looking around in awe he hears the batmobile pull up uh, which sends him into a hiding place in an attempt to uh to hide from batman and uh, as he comes out of his hiding place thinking that the coast is clear who does he run into but batman himself who uh, who at that point dick says the most obvious thing in in human history and it's like you're you're and and Batman takes off his mask, <laughs> mask and reveals that he's in fact Bruce. So that leads us to this conversation had between the the three of them, Alfred, Dick, and Bruce, where uh, Batman and sort of Bruce sort of explains to Dick what he's been doing and why he hasn't been around. And uh, Dick uh, exclaims that he wants to be the one to to serve and find Zuko, uh, but. Uh, Bruce says it's too late at that point to discuss that they're going to, they can discuss it another time. It's time for bed and it's too late. Uh, as, and as he walks away, Dick mumbles under his breath too, too late for Bruce, but, uh, but not too late for Batman. So uh, I don't know how he got out of the, under the watchful eye of, of Alfred at this point, I guess <laughs> Alfred goes to bed. So, so Dick then sneaks back down, goes down to the bat cave and uh, presses one button on the on the bat computer which immediately tells him where batman's location is which is uh he recognizes is the circus and he decides to meet up uh, batman has started his detective work there and arrived but unfortunately uh is knocked out and awakens tied to uh, one of those knife throwing targets those big wooden knife throwing wheels mm -hmm. morning sunshine you know being here has really brought back memories. Believe it or not, once upon a time, my pops and I were in the circus. We were knife throwers. Well, I threw the knives and Dad hoped I wouldn't hit him. <laughs> it was quite an act, really. <laughs> 
We'd put them on a board, just like the one you're on, and I'd say, Ladies and gentlemen, please don't try this at home. I'm a trained professional. Then my dad would say, I knew we should have given you piano lessons instead. <laughs> Always good for a laugh. Why'd you give up such a promising career? Well, one day, I missed. And uh, we learned a little bit of backstory. Tony Zuko reveals that he himself was uh, a circus performer at one point, a knife thrower. Uh, he and his father were a knife throwing act where he threw the knives at his father and uh, sort of reveals at the end that the reason why their act came to an end was that uh, he missed one time and sort of Ooh. intimates that he killed his dad. So yeah. very interesting there. And uh, just as he's about to throw, he, as he's telling the story, he's sort of pinpointing around Batman, the different knives, and he throws a knife headed squarely for Batman's head and uh, a bag, a, a weighted bag drops from the ceiling, a sandbag, just in the nick of time to deflect it. And uh, we get the reveal of just who it was that cut down said sandbag. That's right. So we get the, the first full appearance. No, uh, no, no guff here where they try to explain how exactly he made this whole costume for himself. Nope. But because uh, the, the earlier version we see him in is kind of, he has the green pants and the red uh, tunic with the, the R on his chest, but uh, no sleeves or mask or cape but he, he comes out in full force with the uh, the full robin suit and he's uh, he's there and he, he sort of overwhelms zuko at first kind of using his own acrobatic skills to uh to keep zuko on his toes but uh at one point there's uh there's a line uh, that that zuko kind of hits him with he's he's always talking and kind of saying something sarcastic and has has some sort of comment to, to robin about how he didn't your parents ever teach you any manners? And that sort of really throws Robin off his game as he kind of tries to rush in and, and fight Zuko hand to hand instead of sort of using that, that acrobatic skill that was working for him. And Zuko kind of immediately takes over and is seemingly about to, uh, to maybe have Robin meet the same fate that his parents did. But thankfully, one of the knives that he had thrown at Batman was just close enough to those ropes that Batman was tied up by that he could... Uh, use them to cut himself free and, and swoop in to save save Robin at the last second. And Zuko's trying to get away. He, of course, crime, climbs the ladder up to the top of the, uh, the little platform uh, where the trapeze once swung. And uh, as Batman sort of spooks him and he begins to fall, Robin ultimately decides to, uh, to, to save Zuko's life and, and uh, have him face justice. And, and that sort of brings us to our final scene as as Batman sort of asks Robin about that, he asks, you know, you were, you were so intent on Zuko facing, uh, you know, getting what was coming to him, uh, but yet you still saved him. And, and uh, Dick sort of just calmly says that that's what, that's what was coming to him was justice. That's what he got. And uh, Batman is, uh, is, is sort of a quick dimension that it's starting to seem like if, if Dick's going to stick around Wayne Manor, that, Bruce Wayne may not be the uh, the best possible father figure for Dick, and 
And uh, Dick suggests that perhaps the Batman could fill that role instead. And we get uh, Batman mentioning that he would need to have a name if he was going to go out and uh, patrol the streets at night. And Dick looks down at the R on his chest and, uh, and comes up with a, as he says, a family name. Nice save. But I thought you wanted Zuko to get what was coming to him. Well, he did, didn't he? Justice. I've been thinking, Dick. I'm not sure Bruce Wayne has what it takes to raise you properly. Yeah, kind of noticed he's never around. But if not Bruce Wayne, what about the Batman? We'd have to give you a name. How about Robin? Like the bird? It's a family name. the dynamic duo is born here at the end of our episode robin like the bird that's right yeah so that's uh (laughs) that's where we wrap things up here so as far as a faithful adaptation to the robin story with its own sort of twist on it i think that this does a very very good job of doing that i really really enjoyed it i think it's it's fun um i think I have some issues with the Robin story, especially the Dick Grayson Robin story, because it's 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 very odd that a grown man um, decides to allow and I they don't really tell you how old Dick is in this, but he can't he can't be more than 13. I feel like Mm -hmm. it's certainly certainly doesn't seem to be much older than 13 in this so a 13 year old running around fighting crime you really have to suspend disbelief like i get it you know Mm -hmm. you're already suspending disbelief with a a man in a bat costume a billionaire in a bat costume with gadgets and a secret layer under his mansion but this just takes it a step further that this bat the batman character is okay with putting children in danger in like harm's way and the fact that he did not put up any sort of this batman in particular did not have anything to say about like hey well maybe this isn't a good idea to put a a child in in harm's way um you know i feel like at least the batman the animated series tried to address that with uh with i kind of with Terry McGinnis as Batman and sort of kind of with Tim Drake as Robin, but it's always just this thing that you just kind of have to ignore that this adult man is okay with having somebody that's essentially his son out running around fighting, fighting bad guys with guns and mm-hmm. knives and, you know, homicidal maniacs. Like he's just okay with that. Like he's, he's okay with it. It's fine. It, it, um, it, it certainly brings up, and I think there's different, certainly different comic writers, different show writers over the years have kind of, I think, tried to look for a certain justification. I think a lot of times the version that people settle on, um, I know I've heard like Paul Dini talk about this is the idea that it's less for less for less for robin's sake that he does this and more for batman's sake and more that he's looking to brighten up his own world and so he brings this this youthful exuberance into his world in a brightly colored costume not not to use as a decoy not to use as a a blunt instrument or a weapon but just to sort of bring some happiness into his own life and 
I think that you don't really get the sense that that's the case in this episode so much, though. It's more just, uh, and again, I think I think part of that initial appearance always has to be that Batman doesn't give him a suit and say, let's go fight your parents' killer. Like, it always has to be that the kid forces the issue. <laughs> right. Like, I, think, I think that's definitely always part of it. So yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I think there's different writers and different versions of these characters will, will kind of find a justification, but... Like kind of like what we were talking about earlier, the the honest justification for it is, it was a character created in 1940, right? <laughs> that was you know designed to appeal to children, and it wasn't necessarily thought that it would ever be put up against the scrutiny, or that even that these characters would still exist some, uh, you know, some some 80 some years later. So, <laughs> I think there's that that's the real answer, even if an in-universe answer is not quite as satisfying as, as what the truth is. I, that's all valid. That's all fair. So I will say grading this show, even if I don't agree with the, 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 the Robin story or have to, you know, I'm annoyed by some of the, the disbelief suspension that I have to do or the hoops that I have to jump through to, 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 you know, recognize this as an, as a realistic story, um, I, I would I would say that the the telling of this is is good. I think that the portrayal of the the mob and them being the ones shaking down the Graysons, I like that they they change things up. They like I said, the fact that they kind of give you that red herring that Robin might seek actual vengeance and and looking to kill Zuko, but at the last second, it turns out that you know Bruce sort of underestimated his willingness to see to see justice and that he sees that already in Dick and sees you know potential for him. Um, so I, I do like that. I like that they made the Graysons a little bit less passive and a little bit more aggressive uh, towards the people that are that were coming after them. And mm -hmm. they're the ones that are directly dealing with the Zukos versus just being collateral damage. Um, I thought that was an interesting take on it. So I, I, I liked all of that. I, I think that uh, I think that at the end. Uh, of the day this is it's it's hard to put up against robin's reckoning because that's such an iconic episode and mm -hmm. has such a near and dear place in 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 my heart uh, but i think this did a solid job i ended up giving plot a, a seven out of ten what about you yeah i went a little bit stronger i went nine out of ten um i yeah i just think this one is really a home run and i think while I would absolutely agree from, especially from a, a nostalgia standpoint, as we often do on our show, this episode does not mean as much to me as Robin's Reckoning does. It, it can't because, you know, I saw it at a different age at a different point in my life, but uh, I think this does a really good job of telling a more succinct story by not using flashback, by just kind of having it all happen in the present at that time. I think it kind of creates a more interesting story, but despite it only being, you know, one part in only 22 minutes, I think you really do feel like the tragedy of when, you know, when his parents are killed, like because you, you get those few minutes at the start of the episode where you see them being this loving family and they're, and they're not only are they, as you mentioned, they're not, they're not necessarily pushovers or collateral damage, but also they, they, you know, they're shown to have this, you know, truly deep love and admiration for each other, both the parents for each other, and of course, both of them for, for Dick. So I feel like you really feel the, the tragedy with uh, when, when Dick loses something. And I, I want to talk more about that in visuals, certainly. Um, we can get to more comparisons. It's going to be a lot of comparing it to, you know, an all-time classic uh, uh, 
a pair of, of Batman the Animated Series episodes by default, I think. But but yeah, I just think all, overall, I think they do a really good job of of making that moment feel tragic. He feels so alone in that moment when his parents are gone and and still kind of feels lonely when when he when even when Bruce takes him in and it's not until he finally has this moment at the end with Batman where they sort of agree to, you know, become this iconic pairing from, you know, 80 years worth of comics that it, that it sort of, he starts to feel at home and he starts to feel like he has a family again. So I just, I love the structure of it. And then, yeah, well, there's a lot of other, I think other reasons that play into it in our other categories, but yeah, as, as far as just an adaptation of a classic Robin origin and then also adding in their own little tweaks to it. I thought it's, uh, I think it's pretty much a home run. Love it, man. That's great. All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category then, the aforementioned animation and visuals here. So as you mentioned, Dong Wu is the animation studio responsible uh, for this week's episode. Uh, so uh, why don't you run through your highlights and uh, what stood out for you? Well, I think first, first and foremost, we have to go, I think, to the... Uh, the trapeze scene, the, the death scene. Um, and that scene in, in Batman the Animated Series and Robin's Reckoning Part 1 is it's incredibly harrowing. It's mostly done in silhouette and, and shadow. And you just see the, the frayed rope hang down as this you know, brilliant crescendo of music plays. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly haunting. But one of the things I think that they did well here is as it's, as it's happening, as you mentioned, there's a scene where Zuko sort of dumps this his popcorn out and, and you see these two lug nuts and it sh- keeps cutting to those hooks that are sort of ever rising, ever about to fall. And, and, you know, you have uh, Mr. Grayson out on the trapeze and then his, his wife swings out and then you see this, the hooks begin to start to, uh, to fray even more. And then right at the, at the height of the, uh, the swing of the upswing, you see uh, it kind of cuts to the slow motion shot and you see, First, you see John Grayson realize it, and then you see uh, Miss Grayson <laughs> notice, mm-hmm. and and you see her sort of just reach out to Dick in this very, very I think tragic and haunting way. And then, very interesting to me is they then cut to like a POV shot mm-hmm. of Mary as she's falling, and you just see from her perspective her outstretched arm as Dick on this little platform up, up in the sky gets further and further away from her. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to the, you know, the, the, the shocked crowd shots again, something we saw in, in BTOS certainly. And then it cuts back to Dick and it's just him sort of, cr- you know, on his hands and knees weeping and sort of with his head down. And then you sort of pan, it starts to sort of slowly zoom out and you just see this little kid crying all alone on this platform and just to really hit home like the isolation of what he feels in that moment yeah. when his you know when his whole world has come crashing down the way you know the use of camera the direction again uh, Brand- Brandon Vietti is the director on this episode who folks will probably know he's one of the the big minds behind uh, eventually of the Young Justice series and and went on to i think bigger bigger and and more sort of prominent work after this series but that that whole the way that whole thing is framed, while it's completely different um, than the the Robin's Reckoning version, I think is almost equally as haunting as that sequence of the the shocked looks on on his parents' faces to the POV shot, to then the sort of slow zoom out of Dick all alone up on this platform. It's just really really haunting stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know if I can add anything to that. But I, I would agree with you. That's always a tricky thing to do also because this, unlike the the murders of Bruce Wayne's parents, which most people already know that story coming in. So you can oftentimes just allude to or tell that story without, without showing it. If you're doing a Robin origin story, it's kind of pivotal because Bruce in most, if not all of the iterations of that story is present. So you kind of have to, it's kind of important to show that. Um, so the fact that a children's cartoon has, has within its limits to work around showing the murder of, of Dick's parents um, and the way to do that in a way that doesn't just show the murder of them, show them hitting the ground. Um, it, it's, it's always like pun intended, a tightrope to walk. So the fact that they were able to put their own spin on it, not just do the, the cut rope bit that, that, uh, the Batman, the animated series did in Robin's reckoning and put their own spin on it. And I think it really builds the tension too, as, as they're swinging on it, just as it does in, in Batman, the animated series, as the rope begins to kind of, you know, fray and, and eventually snap this, you can, it, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, they, I think it was Alfred Hitchcock said the way to the way to get people in uh, and, and feel tension in a scene is to have uh, have like let them in on the secret of what's going to happen like the, the what's building the tension so you have a scene mm -hmm. where there's three men sitting around the table and then a bomb goes off well it's not as shocking as or and it doesn't create as much tension as if you start the scene under the table showing the bomb with the time timer about to go off and you know as the audience you have this sort of you know this uh, this fourth wall of understanding of what's going to happen if these guys mm -hmm. don't leave the table so the fact that th that effective storytelling was used here too, where you see the nut, you know, uh, he, uh, Zuko shows his brother the lug nuts, you connect that to the hooks on the, on the trapeze, and then you start to see the trapeze go up. It builds that tension and anxiety and fear in you for these characters. So it's a great way of bringing the audience in and bringing tension in a, a very effective storytelling device. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I agree that they did that uh, as effectively and, and put their own spin on it. So yeah, and then the, the transition from that scene right to the, to the funeral and the rain and Dick sort of there sitting with his head hanging down and, 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 and the, the caskets there in front of him. And uh, yeah, it, it was a, it's, it was a very, uh, very effective way of, of communicating just the emotion of that scene. And I, I love what you said about the, the isolation of him being on that platform and just how mm -hmm. he felt in that moment. Very, very, very well done. Um, I, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot uh, to enjoy. I think we, I don't know if we've done an episode from the later seasons of the Batman yet, but this is one of the, the redesigns that they did for the mm -hmm. Batman character where they gave him the more square jaw and they, they actually shrunk the eye slits on his costume. They sort of redesigned his costume, made his nose a little bit more prominent and gave it a, a more definition. So this, this does look a little bit different than some of the other episodes that we've covered from this series so far. Um, Bruce looks, looks, I think he, they even made his eyes a little bit smaller too, and gave him a little mm -hmm. bit more square eyes instead of the, like the rounder almond eyes that he had in the other episodes. Um, so there is a little bit of a redesign here. Uh, you want to talk about the actual Robin design itself? Yeah. So it's, there's not, uh, I, I think we did talk about this in 
we did the Batman Superman uh, two-parter. That's right, we did. You're right. Uh, a while back, which Robin is in that one, but I don't know how much we talked about Robin in that one. Uh, but yeah, I, like the costume itself is, it looks pretty much like you you took the the I guess what at the time would have been the still pretty current Tim Drake uh, Robin suit, not not so uh, dissimilar to what Batman the animated series do, where you take that original uh, Neil Adams designed uh, suit that was made for Tim Drake and you you kind of put that on on uh, on into your animated style. Not it's a little more simple. You don't have like the pouches on the sleeves and and things like that. But you know you got the the green sleeves and the long the long pants. He does still have kind of like the little pointed pixie boots, uh, like the uh, like the original suit, which I think is a nice little touch. And then uh, he does. I guess you have the, you have the inverted color on the on the R. You have a black R with the yellow uh, circle, which is kind of a nice little just change of pace there um and then i get they i think maybe the what it's about is is the hue of green they use they use like a very deep dark green on his uh on the green parts of his costume as opposed to maybe other versions which would use a, a brighter green so there i think it, it fits in because even though this show is not it, it can be lighter at times and very action adventure heavy there is, I think, especially in the Batman design, he's got this big, you know, flowing cape that sort of engulfs him if he's not sort of actively moving or, or in a fight. It's sort of almost always completely around him. He almost completely obscures his body, if not completely. And so Robin's sort of having a, a little bit of a darker color palette on his suit to maybe match that. I think I think that works pretty effectively. And he has the cape that has it has like one little slit in it uh, down near the bottom, but it sort of hangs over his shoulders and and in the same way that Batman's does. So they kind of I guess they kind of match that from like a color palette and and motif, even though it's still the you know very much the classic Robin color palette with the black and yellow cape and the the red and the green. Yeah. Um, my only issue with the Robin design, and it's more, I think, for the character model itself, is that he looks like a bobblehead, especially <laughs> when he stands next to Batman, because Batman, Batman's head sort of fits his body. But I think it's the same issue with with Batgirl also. Batgirl, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, their heads are gigantic on the character models. And when they you put them standing next to Batman, they just look even more like like bobbleheads and it's I, I just it's very distracting for me so that end scene where they're standing which is a, I love the end of the the end of the episode where you know they he's getting the he's telling him that Bruce Wayne's not going to be the best father figure for him and then he says well how about Batman and they're just kind of standing there and there's this purple sky behind them they got rid of that god-awful green <laughs> like baby poop green uh, sky color and it's like purple there's a giant moon behind them their capes are flowing hashtag cape movement going there oh, yeah double oh, yeah. cape movement at that but it, robin looks like a like a like a bobblehead and it's it just it just took me out of the scene i'm like and i know that's again it's just just the design <laughs> but it feels like I, I i don't know like almost like he's he belongs on a different show that character model belongs to like a like a teen titans or like something where the character's a little bit more exaggeratedly mm -hmm. designed and bruce is sort of 
I don't know. It, it just doesn't, doesn't seem to match for me. So I, I did not love that, but um, there's a lot of other classic Batman stuff that's in here. They have great use of batarangs. And I think that scene with Zuko throwing the knives, I love that Batman tied mm-hmm. up and they follow the knife coming out of Zuko's hand to hitting the, hitting the target. And um, the, the, the scene where Batman is shaking down the guys at the ice pick lounge, he does the, uh, he knocks on the, the lounge and the guy asks him for a password and before the pat there's an answer he just busts through the door uh, <laughs> shaking people down looking for zuko i loved that um, i thought that the tour of the bat cave that dick takes uh, when he comes down the the elevator was great you see batman's trophy room which includes mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff that we we uh, from episodes that we haven't covered just yet but uh loved that and um yeah i think there's there's some strong visuals i I think that the highlight is definitely as you mentioned the uh the death of the graysons unfortunately and then the the subsequent funeral afterwards i will say there was one visual easter egg and that is uh in the opening scene there's a poster of the flying graysons and Mm -hmm. the 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 costumes that the graysons are wearing on that poster are actually uh matching of the what the costumes that they were in Batman the animated series in Robin's reckoning. Oh, uh, very nice. I didn't, I didn't pick that up. Yeah. It's, 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 it's almost, a, it's the red with like the sort of the gold design on that and the white pants. I think there's a slight variation uh, on, on Mary's costume, but uh, yeah, the rest, the rest of every, the rest of the costume, is, it's almost exact. So a nice little nod and shout out to its predecessor there mm-hmm. uh, at, with a couple of other things that we'll talk about in just <laughs> a, a few minutes here. But uh, overall, I, I, the Zuko design, I liked that it was different. Also, uh, he had, he had the David Bowie, two different colored eyes for some mm-hmm. reason, didn't quite understand why they went with that, but I guess it made him a little bit more menacing, a little bit more evil uh so uh and i i think his uh his strong man uh had sort of like that classic he looked like a sad clown without the makeup on uh he looked like he looked like some other cartoon character that i couldn't quite put my put my finger on like uh there's like a a, a classic like homeless sad looking clown is that but (laughs) bud bud allen bud no it's uh bud abbott maybe oh okay i think maybe is the is the clown that that sort of looked like that back in like the 30s or 40s or something like that tweet us at dcau review if you know what (laughs) clown i'm talking about but yes um it's uh maybe the same clown that was uh that was modeled after one of the masks in the dark night uh in the bank heist uh the bank heist uh scene that one of those masks is modeled after one of those clowns so it's the same same face but uh yeah uh, i gave animation and visuals a very strong nine out of ten what about you yeah i uh, i actually went the the full perfect 10 out of 10 a couple other little notes uh i think we mentioned this there's there's a lot of use of slow motion we already talked about it in the 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 grace and steph scene but in that opening bit where where the zukos are kind of shaking down everything as Tony and the other ones uh, run as Batman deals with the uh, the lion tamer. Uh, uh, there's just this moment where where Zuko sort of looks down at Dick, and they cut back to Dick, and then back to Zuko as they lock eyes. I thought that was really impressive. And then, actually, right at, in that same scene, a little bit earlier, when they when they do the bit where you know the uh, where Dick and and John are sort of facing off with the Zukos and. And Dick tells him that he doesn't think that uh, they'll be paying him anything because he he called the cops five minutes ago. And then you just you hear Batman's voice 
saying, guess who intercepted the call? And then from, from out of the shadows, a very classic Batman moment, you just see the silhouette uh, appear behind Zuko and then you see the fist rise up and, uh, and, and he connects with that. A heck of an entrance for Batman at the start of this episode, just tremendous stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I, and I think that, is, and as we already mentioned that, that final bit in the, uh, in the circus tent with the knives throwing and, and uh, Robin making the last second save as, as Zuko falls off the platform and all that's just, uh, just really, really good stuff all the way around. So even though, there's really only that opening little scuffle between Batman and the Graysons and Zuko's family. And then again, sort of brief, briefly Batman shaking down the thugs. And then that final action beat, we don't, it's not a, it's not wall to wall punching and kicking here, but still a, a, a very strong visual score, which I think again, speaks to how good they were at, at using the direction and using the animation to convey those, those big emotional beats of the episode. Absolutely. And that's directly reflected in our scores. All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category, which is going to be music. And I believe you said Thomas Chase was responsible for this week's music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's a, we, I guess, I don't know. I guess we've done an episode. We, I will just talk about it because I'd forgotten we'd done the Batman Superman story, but uh, it, the the new Batman theme thumbs down, Fit, like Aww. like knockoff knockoff Batman sixty six theme with a little bit of like the guitar riff's great, but I just don't feel like it fits this version of Batman very well. It feels like it it should it should go with Batman Brave and the Bold or a mm-hmm. Silver Age version of Batman. Um, the the original. Uh, title by the edge far and away way better than what they landed on for these later seasons but uh, i digress with that uh, other than that uh, i thought that the the music they they used a similar trick as we mentioned you know in in batman animated series where the music sort of stops and then crescendos and comes back in when the graysons pass this it sort of just abruptly comes like it just drop starts dropping out and just lowers to a, a lower level but it stays mm-hmm. stays kind of um it it's not that it drops out completely it just drops out of focus as the as the moment that they're passing uh, comes about and they zoom you know they zoom in on on dick and then they zoom out uh and then transition to the funeral but Music plays uh, a big background part in a lot of the scenes. Um, the the music at the the nightclub, the the ice pick lounge, uh, sounds you know it's just like generic '80s rock ballad track number four. Uh, that I was like, all right, that's not that's not great, but I guess it's just they just picked a piece of music for the scene. But I I did think that there were a couple of scenes, including you know when Dick comes out of the elevator and is for, sort of taking in the visual of being in the bat cave for the first time there's some music that comes in in the back there there's a little bit of a theme that i feel like came in or started to come in when robin is revealed but it just very quickly drops out there's some there's some synthesizer that comes in there mm-hmm. um and then uh, I, I, in that final scene i notated the music also as he and he and batman are having the conversation about who robin is and what it being a family name there's sort of a crescendo of a of a theme that plays there um 
but yeah, I, I think the music, there wasn't a lot that was required of it other than to kind of be the background, but it, it does certainly set the mood in the death scene and then the subsequent uh, in the subsequent funeral scene. And even in the scene where, where Dick is sort of uh, can't sleep and looks up at the picture of his parents, I thought that uh, that that scene is punctuated by the sort of somber, sad music that is, is interrupted when uh, Alfred comes from the, from the bat cave and sort of leads to the, the scene where, where Robin or Dick discovers the bat cave and has this uh, moment of awe. So um, yeah, the music, there wasn't anything that necessarily stood out uh, as a piece that's hummable or memorable to me or something that that's going to be on would be on a repeat if I had the the tracks isolated, but I think it's solid and it does its job. So I ended up giving music a, a seven out of 10. Yeah, I actually uh, went with the exact same score of seven out of 10. Yeah, I think it it's not uh, it's not that classic theme, a lot of like classic musical moments that you're going to hum or anything like that but uh definitely it's always very good at punctuating those scenes you have the the, the sort of echoey batman guitar refrain when he comes comes into a scene and as you mentioned there's sort of this weird little synthesizer thing that plays when robin first appears and and then yeah you have your your sort of uh your your bookended music there as well i think yeah i think they did a really good job and there's one moment where as as bruce is sort of looking down at dick at the funeral where he has a flashback to himself as a young boy looking at his own parents' grave. And I think there's some, there's some good music brought into that, that funeral scene as well. So yeah, even though it's not necessarily a great, maybe traditional soundtrack that you would maybe seek out on a, uh, to listen to in isolated fashion, I'm not sure it's available even if you wanted to, unfortunately, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, they, uh, I think it, I think it does a really good job of just, again, just punctuating and, and adding to, the emotions that we're, you know, we're seeing and we're hearing from, uh, from our, our other categories there. So uh, can't, uh, can't complain about that. A really good, uh, really strong job there. Absolutely. All right, Liam, we've been teasing it pretty much from the get-go here. We have some exciting names to discuss on this week's voice cast. So before, uh, before we make the good people wait any longer for the surprise reveal of just who these voices are, let's talk about this week's voice cast. That's right. So uh, first, as uh, a, f- a couple familiar names, although not the big familiar names we'll be talking about, we have uh, playing the uh, sort of the big bruiser henchman, the uh, the strong man, as he's referred to, is uh, is one Maurice LaMarche, who folks would know as the voice of the brain uh, on Picky and the Brain. And, ah, okay. uh, one of the Animaniacs, I think, uh-huh. um, and uh, tons of other voice acting credits to his name, of course. Not a not a big role, but always fun to see uh, one of those those veterans of, of Warner Brothers animation popping up. And uh, speaking of veteran voice actors, we have uh, Gray Griffin, who at, I believe at the time was known as Gray Delisle, as uh, as Mary Grayson, who you know folks would know as the voice for, uh, of Catwoman in the Arkham games and and uh, Mandy on Billy and Mandy again, a ton of a ton of, uh, of Warner and then Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon cartoons. Uh, to her credit as well. So uh, I, again, I, I like, uh, and I, I will sort of parlay Miss, uh, Miss Griffin's performance along with playing the voice of John Grayson, a fella we, I th- think we've brought his name off once or twice on the show uh, by the name of Kevin Conroy. What? <laughs> okay, Dick, come on out now. No, I look like a loser. 
Your mother put a lot of work into the new costumes. Well, are you gonna just stand there? Is there a reason why this costume has to be so colorful? Because when I see you up there, Richard, you make me think of a little robin. Ugh, a robin? Like the bird? You know, kids my age get beat up for nicknames like that. How about if we called you our flying squirrel? Better? You know, Dad, I'm not the only one who looks like a loser. Loser? Well, I'll teach you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because that's like the first voice you uh i think their two voices uh, uh miss griffin and and uh and kevin's voices are the first two voices you hear in the episode practically and it's just so it's so funny like and it's not that he of course he does a great job he's very over the top and really really playing like the the good the good loving dad throughout his, his couple of scenes here and and everything it's it's a lot of fun but it, it is just it is just so like in a in a good way it's kind of just funny to hear kevin conroy voicing a character in a batman cartoon that isn't batman yeah they put i mean we knew that he had this sort of doting father type voice because when he played thomas wayne in batman the animated series mm -hmm. and it's very much like a a turned up bruce wayne uh from batman the animated series style voice just kind of like goofy and over the top i mean i guess it's just it's probably just kevin conroy it's kevin conroy being happy and, and joyful uh as opposed to the dark brooding bruce wayne that we're used to mm -hmm. so it's it is it is nice to hear his voice uh i i love the little scene that he has where again where he was teasing dick about being named the flying squirrel i thought that was great <laughs> um you know I, again i love that they decided to make him a, a instead of just this sort of passive guy that's a pushover that's you know, that sort of fears and is running away from the from the, the the mob that's threatening to shake them down and wanting them for protection that uh, he actually stands up to them. And uh, ironically, you know, he, he puts up a pretty good fight and holds his own against some of these guys. Mm -hmm. He's only bested by the strong man who sneaks up from behind and beats him over the head from, you know, from the back. So, uh, you know, I, I love that they made this character a very strong uh, and and uh, and uh, masculine fella to uh, for for Kevin Conroy to play. So I love that. Love that. And speaking of uh, the familiar names, they just keep coming this week as uh, playing our main villain of the piece. The the aforementioned Tony Zuko uh, is none other than a little unknown struggling voice actor known as Mark Hamill whoa and, uh, what <laughs> i was gonna say this one he's he's uh sort of has this very uh uh i wouldn't say stereotypical but it's it's a mobster voice he gets he's got a little bit of that new york accent going and and he's uh he's got a little bit of a rasp to him so it's it's very different than any other dc animated role that i can i can think of for for mark whether that be of course the joker or or Solomon Grundy, or or Ferris Boyle, or even the Trickster later on in JLU. Uh, this is a uh, he's definitely he's definitely it's again it's a very it's very I don't I don't even think hammy is the word. It's very he's very sinister and very very creepy. But almost every word out of his mouth is like a kind of a play on words or a, or a 
a threat that isn't quite a threat or, uh, you know, he's just got this real sort of sardonic, uh, raspy, sarcastic quality to almost everything he says in the episode. I think the flying Graysons might have to change their name. I think two spots specifically stood out one after the death of the Graysons, they cut to him and he says, well, I guess the flying Graysons are going to have to give themselves a new name or be renamed or whatever he says, man, way to, way to cut oh. the tension in that scene. <laughs> Whew. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it underlies <laughs> the evil, the evil nature behind the character and just the, just that he, he was out for murder he was out to out to kill them and had no remorse whatsoever um and then i think the the scene that we mentioned before where he's throwing the knives at at batman where he sort of punctuates the fact that the reason why his his career ended because after batman asks him he's like well why did you stop and he says one day i missed he's like oof yikes <laughs> um so yeah I, he's very sinister it at first, I'll be honest, like at first I was like, I think that's Mark Hamill. And then I was like, well, maybe it's not him. Like, and then I was like, oh no, that's definitely Mark Hamill. I did absolutely. <laughs> Mark Hamill. But I like the fact that it wasn't immediate, like it's immediately recognizable if you know to listen to it, but I had forgotten that he played him. And then after I realized, or after I heard Kevin Conroy, I was like, oh, did they do that? Oh, they definitely did that. They got Mark Hamill to play Tony Zuko. And it's it's just perfect for the episode. No big surprise, uh, both he and, and, and Kevin Conroy knocked it out of the park on, on their individual performances. And he obviously has a lot more to do because he he's the villain of the piece. Uh, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's sinister and evil in a different way than you're used to with, uh, with the Joker or... Uh, as you mentioned, Solomon Grundy or any of those other other vocal performances that he's done. So it's unique enough and it stands out as a different character where it doesn't feel like he's just doing he's just doing the Joker without the laugh. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that'll, that'll bring us to our heroes of the piece. We do uh, in a reduced role this week, we have a little bit of Alistair Duncan as Alfred, who's you know, like we we always have said that Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. is, is hashtag my Alfred, the the favorite that you know nobody can really touch that that role in our in our hearts but as far as uh uh with with mr zimbalist's passing we we still get mr duncan uh, reprising this role uh even as recently as last year in the the long halloween movies which we actually reviewed so uh, i love him as alfred even though he doesn't get a lot to do in this episode it's always nice to hear him yeah, uh, his his talk with bruce when he has to again it's his role to to kind of hold Bruce accountable. Bruce said that he wants to be the Alfred uh, to that, or he wants to be the same role that Alfred was to Bruce after Bruce was going through his mourning period uh, to towards Dick, then he kind of holds him accountable to say, Hey, if you're going to do this, you gotta, you gotta step it up. You gotta, you gotta do something different here. Even if Bruce doesn't take that advice, he at least advocates for it hey i think dick needs needs a friend and uh in that it, it conveys it as a as a heartwarming uh, just like a parent would if they were offering or a good parent would in sharing advice with you so i yeah i think uh, his performance again we've talked about it before on the episodes uh we've covered in the past and uh, i think his alfred while not Ephraim Zemblis Jr., not hashtag my Alfred. It's uh it's it's great for the role and it still comes across as the uh as the heart of the character i think 
Absolutely. And uh, that'll bring us to our our two main superheroes of the piece. We uh, we have the debuting here in this episode, uh, Evan Sabara as as Robin, who is, uh, you know, had, had a few acting jobs before this and uh, I think was actually out of out of the acting business uh, shortly after this show, although he had did have a recent credit for for something. There was nothing from the Batman until 2018. So uh, hopefully he's, uh, you know, is, is, is working a little bit more going forward. But as far as uh, and we, we've talked about this quite a few times over the years on our show, but it's always uh, it can be a little bit of a crapshoot when you get actual you know young people or kids in to voice the, the child characters. But I mean, I think he hits a home run again from the, the opening bits where he's interacting with with Kevin Conroy and, and, and Gray Delisle as, as, as the, the happy family kid. And then from, you know, having to convey the, the sorrow and the anger when he's, when he's talking to Bruce and Alfred about, about Zuko to, you know, the end there when he acknowledges that, you know, that true justice is, is letting, is letting the, is not, uh, it's not the same as vengeance. And then that sort of thing. So it's, it's a lot to ask of, of a kid period but especially i think in their first episode and i think he does a really good job with it yeah i i think he conveys the emotion i love the one scene uh as i think we talked about where he's talking with alfred and alfred reveals the the painting and he kind of has to switch tones where he's sort of mourning and he, he looks at his parents and he's thankful that it's there and then he, he switches to this sort of he's going to exact justice uh, on Tony Zuko. And I think he adds to that sort of red herring that they did for the character with the, his performance. And uh, mm -hmm. again, we, we, we've, we've heard good voice actors, uh, good children, voice actors, and maybe not so good children, voice actors before <laughs> uh, across the, the years of animation that we've been watching. And I think that his performance is absolutely fine for, for what it is. Uh, Robin, I feel like in some ways uh, is supposed to be a little bit annoying, especially teenage Robin, because uh, he's annoying, he's cocky, you know, he's, he's, you know, he makes quips, uh, the villains are supposed to be annoyed by him. So if he's, if your teenage Robin is at least, isn't at least slightly annoying, I think you're doing something wrong. So uh, <laughs> not quite in the same way that Damian Wayne is, is, uh, is annoying, sure. but but you know it has to be it has to be so, he has to be somewhat of a uh, of a of a quippy annoying adolescent so uh, i think that uh, his performance comes across that way pretty well so yeah i would agree with you uh, a solid performance from him yeah and i there's one line uh, again in that funeral scene that we keep going back to but when when bruce sort of first uh, approaches him and asks how he's doing and he he just says i'll be okay at least that's what everyone's been telling me and I just think the way he delivers that, like he's so cold and detached in that moment. And you really get that feeling of the, you know, the mix of the sadness and the anger and feeling so alone in that moment where, which then leads to, uh, speaking of, of Bruce, Reno Romano, once again, as, as, as Batman and Bruce Wayne in this episode here, who then, you know, in reaction to seeing how Dick is at his parents' funeral sort of immediately wants to spring into action and, and bring him into the fold then uh reno romano uh, probably doesn't get a lot to do there's a lot of exposition of him explaining how he's tracking down zuko and and everything and some brief interactions with him but i think i think he's really good in that funeral scene and then that that final sequence where he's playing off mark hamill in the under the circus tent and then as as we've talked about that final scene where they're they're speaking on the uh 
on sort of the edge of the uh, the circus grounds about and and you know giving Robin his name and all of that. I think I think uh, another solid job by uh, this universe's Batman. Agreed. Yeah, I think um, he because because so much of it is a Robin story. He doesn't have as much to do, but I think as Batman when he's shaking down the criminals in the in the nightclub, I think is great. Um, he puts a little bit more gruff on his voice than I think we've heard in the past. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then when, when he's explaining to, to Dick about, you know, what his purpose of, of being Batman and why he's been absent and trying to communicate that and then just sort of no selling what, what Dick's response is uh, and wanting to be the person that serves justice uh, is great. And then I think that, again, the interaction between him, anytime there's any interaction between him and Mark Hamill, uh, it's it's hard not to compare it to to Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, but for this show and for these two characters from the show, I I think he holds his own pretty well. So I I thought he did a really solid job overall, especially if with the temptation of comparing him to uh, to other Batman interacting with a, a Mark Hamill voiced character. Absolutely, yeah. I think there's a there's a lot of great stuff here uh, across our 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 wide ranging voice cast again so many familiar names in there and uh yeah i ended up settling on an eight out of ten for my voice score nice i went just a tick higher i think uh blame it on all of the guest uh, familiar guest stars <laughs> and, and favorite voices here uh but i think i think uh, mr romano's performance also was solid and um you know i, th- I think uh, overall there there wasn't too many misses so i went uh, nine out of ten for my score love it all right, Liam, well, that will begin to wrap us up. So let's total our scores, totaling everything up at the end for this episode. I end up with a solid, rock solid, 32 out of 40. What about you? Yeah, and I'm just a, a couple points higher at a 34 out of 40. All right. Uh, when it comes to this series, I say, based on the fact that it's Robin's origin story, this is no doubt, or you got to watch this one. Yeah, I think this is a double thumbs up. It's a it's a really fun, really good episode. It's a good uh, as as we say once in a while, a Robin one hundred and one story. Um, and and again, it told in a it it covers a lot of the ground that Robin's reckoning does, but tells a more sort of succinct story because it's all kind of happening in the moment and and we don't you know we don't have the extra bits of of Dick going out on on his own to try to track down Zuko and all that. So. Uh, it's it's a, it's a very succinct 22 minute it's a good it's a good introduction to robin in the series and yeah i mean it, uh, obviously we've covered a few episodes of the batman from across the uh, the various seasons of the show but uh i think so far this is uh at least from a from a personal standpoint uh this might be uh, my favorite one we've reviewed so far i think this really stands out and even though again it doesn't have the the nostalgic place in my heart that the the classic batman the animated series episodes do uh, this one, I think, I think this one deserves to stand shoulder to shoulder as far as a a great Robin introduction to uh, to your series. Agreed. All right, Liam. Well, that will begin to wrap us up for this week's episode. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget, if you would like to support the podcast, there's a couple ways you can do that. The first and easiest way is likely supporting us on one of our podcast platforms: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google on all the normal ones Uh, we're also available on our anchor site you can subscribe to us on there or as uh, we mentioned at the top of the episode you can of course subscribe to us on the pod tower on youtube 
and if you're on all of those uh, different uh, different platforms, just go subscribe to us. That that helps. Even if you don't <laughs> listen to them on those those particular uh, platforms, it helps, uh, especially with YouTube. So like our videos on there. That's a free way to support us. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at DCAU Review, both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter, we'll talk about in a second here, but uh, is playing a pivotal role. Uh, with uh, not only speaking and talking about all things that are happening in the world uh, of DC Comics and the DCAU, but uh, also some, uh, we have uh, an opportunity for you to let your voice be heard as to what our final week of Robin coverage will be. So uh, tune in for that in just a moment here as we'll discuss. You can, of course, also support us if you want to support us monetarily. There is a link at the bottom of our podcast. You can click on that. It takes you to our anchor site. You can uh, support us directly there or you can head over to dcaureview.com not only find our entire archive of episodes but there is a merch store you can pick yourself up a shirt there's some funny cute dcau related merch there inspired merch i'll say that uh for copyright reasons dcau inspired merchandise uh so you can check that out there and uh liam as as i mentioned just a moment ago we are letting the fans decide here uh our final week of robin coverage as we're coming to an end here of our elseworlds month of june uh, we have one final saturday but we're letting the fans decide just what we will be covering so why don't we uh, present to them our options that they have to choose from that's right so of course it will stay in the the robin theme here for another alternate elseworlds take on the boy wonder but uh, rather than just pick it ourselves we thought we'd open it up and we have two choices for you, as you mentioned, Cal, one being a show we've covered a couple of times by now, uh, that being Young Justice. We could uh, revisit another episode of that, perhaps pick a, a an episode later in season one that is a little bit more Robin focused. Fair to say, if I can just interject, if you want uh -huh. to troll Liam, this Robin, as he's mentioned several <laughs> times before, as we've reviewed these, he hates this version of Robin for some reason, yes. just not a fan it's of annoying. this. He this finds him annoying. So if you want to annoy Liam, if you want to be a <laughs> troll, uh, as I know so many people enjoy being, uh, I mm. say vote for Young Justice. Mm -hmm. But uh, we do have two options, as we're about to mention. <laughs> That's right. Or if you want us to take a crack at something completely different than Young Justice, you could have us uh, end the month talking about another, a Robin voice actor we've already talked about. But in a different show, that being Scott Menville's Robin in the the wonderful and irreverent and still going strong uh, Teen Titans Go, uh, we would uh, maybe pick out at least one, possibly two, since they're the short, the little like twelve minute shorts. We might uh -huh. might do two uh, Robin themed uh, episodes of Teen Titans Go and uh, end the mo end the month on a on a happier note and kind of bookend us with the. Uh, the Teen Titans that started us off and the Teen Titans go to finish this off. Uh, I love that idea, but uh, we are going to leave it up to the fans. And uh, if you make me review Robin and Young Justice, I promise not to be too upset about it. But, I, was, I uh, thought you were about to swear revenge on them. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for promising not to be too, uh, too uh, upset. No, but I, uh, I mean, just now I will hold it against you. Just, <laughs> but You'll but add I'll, it to the list. I'll, you know, it'll, yeah, it'll be a little, uh, you know, 
you're you're that now is not the time for fear that comes later i know uh, you haven't gotten over the fact that they didn't vote for uh, iron man uh, 94 uh, or or the channing tatum dog movie that's right which was really what i wanted to review for april fools our last poll was not uh was not <laughs> did not go your way so yes no it did not so, so head over yeah head over to twitter.com and uh find us at dcae review to let your voice be heard you may either troll liam with your vote heck uh, if you want to sign up for multiple accounts and uh, stuff the ballot box, there's no rules that say you can't do that. So uh, if you have multiple Twitter accounts, you can uh, you can vote more than once. Here. This is uh, this isn't this isn't uh, an election. You, know, you can vote more than once. So go, <laughs> for, it. go for it. All right. Fingers yes. crossed. It's either way, whatever we review next week, it is bound to be a blast. I can't wait to check that out. Uh, but uh, until then. I am Cal. And I'm Liam. And we will talk to you on the next episode, whatever it is, of the DCAU review. Bye-bye.